Please join me for a word of prayer as we remain standing. Oh God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds, think through them. And take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Please be seated. Uh, we are wrapping up our sermon series, as Robbie mentioned, as we begin. We've been thinking about this one chapter out of the sixth chapter of, of John's gospel, in which the, the dominant theme is Jesus as the bread of life. And uh, we come to, I think, a difficult passage. It's a passage in which there's a division, a uh, distinction between uh, true disciples who maintain their relationship, who stick with Jesus, and false disciples who kind of fall away. And the, uh, it seems to me that the division is based upon this hard saying. Did you see in your gospel passage, it says, this is a hard saying. What, they mean, what the critics mean is it's not hard to understand. They can fully understand. It's just hard to accept. It's not uh, hard to comprehend the, the words. It's just difficult to accept the nature of what Jesus is saying. And I think that the overall thrust of this passage, sort of the umbrella heading is, this passage is helping us Realize a distinction uh, between disciples, uh, members of the church, who, are, who have real, uh, a true faith and a lasting faith, and disciples, members of the church, who have a, well, not real, a false, a temporary, uh, and a faith that doesn't with, have any sort of staying power. And this is hard because it's addressed to disciples. There's not super disciples and bad disciples that John is, that Jesus is, he's, he's addressing his disciples. And he says that some of them, or some of them choose to fall away, to no longer stand by Jesus' side while some of them continue to do so. And so we're going to see uh, the distinction between a true and living faith and a false and a temporary faith. I think we can understand this passage if we ask three uh, straightforward questions. And those questions are, first question, what? As in, what is offensive? You see the disciples say, uh, Jesus says, do you take offense at this? What is the offense? You may want to have your Bible out in front of you or uh, your sermon leaflet. What is it that gives offense? First question. Second question we're going to consider is why is it offensive? And the third question we're going to ponder is how do different people respond? So we're going to see two responses to whatever it is that's so offensive. So sound good? Three questions. What? Why? Why is it offensive? And how do different people respond? So let's jump right in. What is offensive? Do you take offense at this? Verse 61. What is the this that is so offensive to some of Jesus' followers? Context will be helpful. I'm going to take a little bit of time to develop this first point, so just bear with me. What is offensive? Again, the thrust of this passage, this entire chapter, is Jesus as the bread of life. So if you back up in the same chapter to verse 53 or verse 36, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Further, 
we thought about this last week, he is not just bread to set on a shelf, he is bread to be consumed. So verse 53, chapter 6, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Right? So it's the bread of heaven, which is Jesus, which is to be consumed. What is offensive? Well, this is offensive. They are offended because Jesus insists that we consume his sacrificial body as bread and his blood as true drink. And they're offended. And that makes sense. It's a very troubling statement. Now, I want us to see Jesus' response. I think you'll find this uh, intriguing. So, do you take offense at this? Verse 61. Then, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Sort of a cryptic answer, right? Are you offended? Well, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was? Huh? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Again, context will be helpful. Oftentimes in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus speaks of going up, of ascending, of being lifted up, of entering his glory. And interestingly, every time we find these phrases in John's Gospel of being lifted up, of entering glory, of ascending, it always involves his cross, which is incredibly ironic. Jesus speaks of being lifted up as a king, and he's referring to his cross. So just a few examples. John chapter 3, as the gospel begins, Jesus is encountering Nicodemus, and Jesus says to him, unless the Son of Man, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And what he's referring to is when he's lifted up on the cross. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself and thereby save all men and save all humanity, right? So again, lifting up cross. At the end of John's gospel, John chapter 16, Jesus, moments, hours before his crucifixion, he says, now has the time come for the Son of Man, for himself, to be glorified. All right? You think glorified, that sounds pretty good. The glory that he is about to encounter is the glory of the cross. Again, glorification by way of the cross. Lifting up, glorification, ascension always begins with the cross. So let me put these two pieces together. Why are they offended? They're offended because Jesus presents his body as bread to be eaten, his blood as true drink to be consumed. And what I love about Jesus' response is he doesn't back down. He doesn't say, well, I know that's troubling. I know that's a little confusing. I know that's a little vivid. Let me, let me uh, backpedal a little bit. Let me offer you a more, no pun intended, a more palatable uh, image. No, in a sense, he says, do you think that word picture is offensive? Do you think this notion of eating my body as bread broken is troubling? Just wait. You, you've not seen anything yet. You think that imagery is scandalous? Just wait. Just wait until I begin 
my ascent. Just wait until you see not bread broken, but my body broken. Just wait until you see what this imagery of bread broken points to. Just wait until you see what the prophet Isaiah described as Jesus, a man of sorrows, despised and rejected, acquainted with grief, from one whom men hide their faces, someone despised. The prophet Isaiah continues, Surely he has borne our grief, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, afflicted, like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before his shearer. So he opened not his mouth. Do you see? They are offended by the words, take and eat my body. Jesus responds by, you haven't seen anything yet. Just wait till you see me ascend to my throne. A crown of thorns on my head. What is offensive? The cross. The cross is offensive. Jesus' insistence that his body is bread to be broken and consumed, his blood to be poured out as drink. And Jesus' body is broken and his blood is poured out as drink to be consumed. Where? On the cross. Do you see, Jesus does not back down, but he pushes in and says, the word picture is something. And you're right to be offended, but just you wait. You'll see something really troubling. Something that really gives offense. Someone despised, afflicted. Someone that all turned their back on. Now that, that's offensive. So that's the first question. What is offensive? It's the cross. The cross is offensive. And now to our second question, why? Why, why, is, why is it so offensive? Why is the cross, this is an idea that's found throughout the, the New Testament, that the, that the cross is something that people are offended by. Why? Well, here's why, uh, one of many reasons why the cross is offensive to us. Because the cross is the great leveler. The cross tells us that, that we depend upon somebody else for life. For life in this age, for life to come in, the, uh, in eternity. That we, we don't have it on our own. We can't do it by ourselves. I have a daughter, Susie, four years old, a very uh, common source of sermon illustrations. We have a, a little bedtime routine, and I'll chase her around the bed, around the room, and uh, I'll say, I'm going to put you, in, I'm going to get you and put you into bed. And Susie will scamper around. She says, no, I'm going to do it myself. Sometimes I'll scoop her up in my arms, and I'll, you know, other times I'll let her win, but I'll scoop her up, and I'll plop her down, and I'll tuck her in, and pull the sheets up, and say prayers, and give her a kiss goodnight, and walk out the door, and I'll see, here, Susie, untuck herself, get out of bed, saying, I can do it by myself. Right, we're all, we all have this independent streak. I can do it by myself. I don't need anybody. 
And I, th- there are some aspects of life where that's appropriate, right? We all should have a sense of independence and can do. But, but in matters of faith, independence is not a virtue. And the cross is the exclamation point on, you can't do it by yourself. And that's, what the, that's why it's so offensive. You know, every time we come forward for communion, we're saying, I, I need you. <laughs> I need the body. I, I need to be nourished. And if we don't need him, why did he have to go through what he did? The great reformer Martin Luther, as he made the journey out of sort of medieval mysticism to a true and living faith, was reflecting on the 22nd Psalm. And that's the psalm that begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the words that Jesus said from the cross. And... uh, Martin Luther, as he reflected on this psalm, he said, if I am so good, why must he suffer so? Why is the cross offensive? It's offensive because it tells you and me you cannot do it by yourself. You can't enjoy real life now. Sure, you can have a pulse. You can go through the motions. You can punch the ticket but you can't have real life now. The cross is offensive because it tells us you won't enjoy life in the age to come, not by yourself, not on your own merit. When we stand before the Lord in one day, we don't want to say what my little four-year-old is inclined to say, what we're all inclined to say, I can do it myself. No. Our hope for the age to come is based upon a Savior, our Savior, who died for me, who died for you, and offers himself to be consumed just like bread. And that is the basis for our hope. Why is the cross offensive? It's the great leveler, the exclamation point at the end of the sentence, and the exclamation point that you cannot do it by yourself. It's offensive. And it's just helpful to remember. You know, we're in a stained glass building and a very ornate cross. But just remember, the cross was an offense. Now I want us to see how people respond. And again, as I began, uh, just look to, to whom this is addressed. Verse 60, many of his disciples heard it. And they said, this is a hard saying. And those disciples, they walked away. In other words, there's not like super disciples who get it and some uh, the, the, the real elite disciples who under... No, this is addressed to all uh, followers of Jesus. Yet some of these people had a real and living faith and some of them had a false and temporary faith. Don't you see? That's troubling. That means, you know what that means? It means that the church, it means that right now we're in a mixed bag. Even right here, there, there are men and women who have yet to grasp a real understanding of, of Jesus. Yes, you may admire his teaching, you may admire his character, but still the cross is this thing where you think, ugh, can we have a little bit less of that? The church is a mixed bag. And, and, the, and the Bible is very clear about the mixed bag 
nature of the church. Think of the number of images that, that the Bible uses of two people built a house. One, two houses look exactly the same. Uh, yet one house washed away. A farmer went out to scatter seed. And some of that seed grew. Actually, three out of the four seeds grew. But only one seed was real and lasting. And do you see the wedge that separates? The wedge that separates the true, lasting disciples from the false and temporary disciples. The wedge is this. It's Jesus' insistence that his body is bread, which was broken on the cross. And it is now food to be consumed by you and me. Do you see that? Some people are addressed, encounter this troubling teaching. I think, no thanks. I'll do it myself. I walk away. They are offended by the cross. And there are some true disciples who say, and the, the response is not offense, but strangely, the, the response of a living faith is we don't, we're not offended by the cross, instead we glory in the cross. We, we have a, a love affair with the cross, like a, like a mouth drawn to flame is, is a Christian's relationship to the cross. And this is found within the New Testament as well. The Apostle Paul will say, uh, I, I boast in the cross of Christ. I glory in the cross. That, you glory in that, in the cross. Like uh, one of our great hymns, we sing, O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded, thorns thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine, yet thou despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine. Do you hear that? Thou who art despised and gory, I joy, it's my joy to call thee thine. Cardinal Ratzinger wrote, The experience of beauty has received new depth and realism in the cross. The one who is beauty itself, let himself be slapped in the face, spat upon and crowned with thorns. However, in his face so disfigured, there appears the genuine, extreme beauty, a beauty of love that goes to the very end. So I simply want us to appreciate the wedge in between true and lasting faith and false and fleeting faith. There are many who appreciate the character of Jesus, rightly so. His character was unsurpassed. There are many who appreciate the teaching of Jesus, and rightly so. His teaching was full of wisdom. But many of those same people who admire the person and love the teaching are offended by the cross. Because it tells everyone, you cannot do it on your own. And those disciples that felt that way turned their back and no longer walked with him. 
What I appreciate about this passage is that Jesus does not shield us from the scandal. He does not shield us from the offense of his claims. Jesus does not soft pedal our need for him. He insists that his body is bred to be broken and consumed. And these offensive words point to an even more offensive event, the cross upon which his body was broken and his blood poured out. Some realize the audacity of his claims and turn away. And there are others, like Peter, who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed that you are the Holy One of God. So the final question of Jesus is a good one for us to draw our thoughts to a conclusion on. Jesus asks his disciples, some of his remaining disciples, so what about you? Will you, do you want to go away as well? And as we come to a conclusion, let's ponder that question. In light of Jesus' claims, do you want to go away as well? Let's take a journey back in our mind's eye to that Good Friday in which we see something offensive the broken body of a broken man. And let's ask ourselves, what do you see? What do you feel? Offense? No thank you? I can do it by myself? Or love and gratitude, the type of love and gratitude expressed in those words, O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine, yet thou despised and gory. I joy to call thee mine.